Monsieur de Miroir. From Mosses from an Old Man's and Other Stories by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Neufeld. Than the gentleman above named, there is nobody in the whole circle of my acquaintance whom I have more attentively studied, yet of whom I have less real knowledge, beneath the surface which it pleases him to present. Being anxious to discover who and what he really is, and how connected with me, and what are to be the results, to him and to myself, of the joint interest, which, without any choice on my part, seems to be permanently established between us, and incited furthermore by the propensities of a student of human nature, though doubtful whether a Monsieur de Miroir have aught of humanity but the figure, I have determined to place a few of his remarkable points before the public, hoping to be favoured with some clue to the explanation of his character nor let the reader condemn any part of the narrative as frivolous, since a subject of such grave reflection diffuses its importance through the minutest particulars, and there is no judging beforehand what odd little circumstance may do the office of the blind man's dog among the perplexities of this dark investigation. And however extraordinary, marvellous, preternatural, and utterly incredible, some of the meditated disclosures may appear, I pledge my honour to maintain as sacred a regard to fact as if my testimony were given on oath and involved the dearest interests of the personage in question. Not that there is a matter of criminal accusation against Monsieur du Miroir, nor am I the man to bring it forward if there were. The chief that I complain of is his impenetrable mystery which is no better than nonsense if it conceal anything good, and much worse in the contrary case. But if undue partialities could be supposed to influence me, Monsieur de Miroir might hope to profit rather than to suffer by them, for in the whole of our long intercourse we have seldom had the slightest disagreement, and moreover there are reasons for supposing him a near relative of mine, and consequently entitled to the best word that I can give him. He bears indisputably a strong personal resemblance to myself, and generally puts on mourning at the funerals of the family. On the other hand, his name would indicate a French descent, in which case, infinitely preferring that my blood should flow from the bold British and pure Puritan source, I beg leave to disclaim all kindred with Monsieur de Miroir some genealogists trace his origin to spain and dub him a knight of the order of the caballeros de los espejos one of whom was overthrown by don quixote but what says m de miroir himself of his paternity and his fatherland not a word did he ever say about the matter and herein perhaps lies one of his most especial reasons for maintaining such a vexatious mystery that he lacks the faculty of speech to expound it. His lips are sometimes seen to move, his eyes and countenance are alive with shifting expression, as if corresponding by visible hieroglyphics to his modulated breath, and anon he will seem to pause, with as satisfied an air, as if he had been talking excellent sense. 
good sense or bad, Monsieur de Miroir is the sole judge of his own conversational powers, never having whispered so much as a syllable that reached the ears of any other auditor. Is he really dumb, or is the world deaf? Or is it merely a piece of my friend's waggery, meant for nothing but to make fools of us? If so, he has the joke all to himself. This dumb devil, which possesses Monsieur de Miroir, is, I am persuaded, the sole reason that he does not make me the most flattering protestations of friendship. In many particulars, indeed, as to all his cognizable and not preternatural points, except that, once in a great while, I speak a word or two, there exists the greatest apparent sympathy between us. Such is his confidence in my taste, that he goes astray from the general fashion, and copies all his dresses after mine. I never try on a new garment without expecting to meet Monsieur de Miroir in one of the same pattern. He has duplicates of all my waistcoats and cravats, shirt-bosoms of precisely a similar plate, and an old coat of private wear, manufactured, I suspect, by a Chinese tailor, in exact imitation of a beloved old coat of mine, with a facsimile, stitch by stitch, of a patch upon the elbow. In truth, the singular and minute coincidences that occur, both in the accidents of the passing day and the serious events of our lives, remind me of those doubtful legends of lovers, or twin children, twins by fate, who have lived, enjoyed, suffered, and died in unison each faithfully repeating the last tremor of the other's breath, though separated by vast tracts of sea and land. Strange to say, my incommodities belong equally to my companion, though the burthen is no wise alleviated by his participation. The other morning, after a night of torment from the toothache, I met Monsieur de Miroir with such a swollen anguish in his cheek that my own pangs were redoubled, as were also his, if I might judge by a fresh contortion of his visage. All the inequalities of my spirits are communicated to him, causing the unfortunate Monsieur de Miroir to mope and scowl through a whole summer's day, or to laugh as long for no better reason than the gay or gloomy crotchets of my brain. At once we were joint sufferers of a three months' sickness, had met like mutual ghosts in the first days of convalescence. Whenever I have been in love, Monsieur de Miroir has looked passionate and tender, and never did my mistress discard me, but this too susceptible gentleman grew lackadaisical. His temper, also, rises to blood-heat, fever-heat, or boiling-water-heat, according to the measure of any wrong which might seem to have fallen entirely on myself. I have sometimes been calmed down by the sight of my own inordinate wrath depicted on his frowning brow. Yet, however prompt in taking up my quarrels, I cannot call to mind that he ever struck a downright blow in my behalf, nor, in fact, do I perceive that any real or tangible good has resulted from his constant interference in my affairs, so that, in my distrustful moods, I am apt to suspect Monsieur de Miroir's sympathy to be more outward show, 
not a whit better nor worse than other people's sympathy. Nevertheless, as mortal man must have something in the guise of sympathy, and whether the true metal or merely copper wash is of less moment, I choose rather to content myself with Monsieur de Miroir's, such as it is, than to seek the sterling coin and perhaps miss even the counterfeit. In my age of vanities, I have often seen him in the ballroom, and might again, were I to seek him there. We have encountered each other at the Tremont Theatre, where, however, he took his seat neither in the dress-circle, pit, nor upper regions, nor through a single glance at the stage, though the brightest star, even Fanny Campbell herself, might be culminating there. No, this whimsical friend of mine chose to linger in the saloon, near one of the large looking-glasses, which throw back their pictures of the illuminated room. He is so full of these unaccountable eccentricities that I never like to notice Monsieur de Miroir, nor to acknowledge the slightest connection with him, in places of public resort. He, however, has no scruple about claiming my acquaintance, even when his common sense, if he had any, might teach him that I would as willingly exchange a nod with the old Nick. It was but the other day that he got into a large brass kettle at the entrance of a hardware store, and thrust his head the moment afterwards into a bright new warming-pan, whence he gave me a most merciless look of recognition. He smiled, and so did I. But these childish tricks make decent people rather shy of Monsieur de Miroir, and subject him to more dead cuts than any other gentleman in town. One of this singular person's most remarkable peculiarities is his fondness for water, wherein he excels any temperance man whatever. His pleasure, it must be owned, is not so much to drink it, in which respect a very moderate quantity will answer his occasions, as to souse himself over head and ears wherever he may meet with it. Perhaps he is a merman, or born of a mermaid's marriage with a mortal and thus amphibious by hereditary right, like the children which the old river deities, or nymphs of fountains, gave to earthly love. When no cleaner bathing-place happened to be at hand, I have seen the foolish fellow in a horse-pond. Sometimes he refreshes himself in the trough of a town-pump, without caring what the people think about him. Often, while carefully picking my way along the streets after a heavy shower, I have been scandalized to see Monsieur de Miroir in full dress, paddling from one mud-puddle to another, and plunging into the filthy depths of each. Seldom have I peeped into a well without discerning this ridiculous gentleman at the bottom, whence he gazes up, as through a long telescopic tube, and probably makes discoveries among the stars by daylight. Wandering along lonesome paths, or in pathless forests, when I have come to virgin fountains, of which it would have been pleasant to deem myself the first discoverer, I have started to find Monsieur de Miroir there before me. The solitude seemed lonelier for his presence. I have leaned from a precipice that frowns over Lake George, which the French called nature's font of sacramental water, 
and used it in their log churches here and their cathedrals beyond the sea and seen him far below in that pure element at niagara too for i would gladly have forgotten both myself and him i could not help observing my companion in the smooth water on the very verge of the cataract just above the table rock were i to reach the sources of the nile i should expect to meet him there unless he be another ladder lad whose garments the depths of ocean could not moisten it is difficult to conceive how he keeps himself in any decent pickle though i am bound to confess that his clothes seem always as dry and comfortable as my own but as a friend i could wish that he would not so often expose himself in liquor all that i have hitherto related might be classed among those little personal oddities which agreeably diversify the surface of society and though they may sometimes annoy us yet keep our daily intercourse fresher and livelier than if they were done away by an occasional hint however i have endeavoured to pave the way for stranger things to come which had they been disclosed at once monsieur de miroir might have been deemed a shadow and myself a person of no veracity and this truthful history a fabulous legend but now that the reader knows me worthy of his confidence i will begin to make him stare to speak frankly then i could bring the most astounding proofs that monsieur de miroir is at least a conjurer if not one of that unearthly tribe with whom conjurers deal he has inscrutable methods of conveying himself from place to place with the rapidity of the swiftest steamboat or rail-car brick walls and oaken doors and iron bolts are no impediment to his passage here in my chamber for instance as the evening deepens into night i sit alone the key turned and withdrawn from the lock the keyhole stuffed with paper to keep out a peevish little blast of wind yet lonely as i seem were i to lift one of the lamps and step five paces eastward monsieur du miroir would be sure to meet me with a lamp also in his hand and were i to take the stage-coach to-morrow without giving him the least hint of my design and post onward till the week's end at whatever hotel i might find myself i should expect to share my private apartment with this inevitable monsieur de miroir or out of a mere wayward fantasy were i to go by moonlight and stand beside the stone font of the shaker spring at canterbury monsieur de miroir would set forth on the same fool's errand and would not fail to meet me there shall i heighten the reader's wonder while writing these latter sentences i happened to glance towards the large round globe of one of the brass andirons and lo a miniature apparition of monsieur de miroir with his face widened and grotesquely contorted as if he were making fun of my amazement but he has played so many of these jokes that they begin to lose their effect once presumptuous that he was he stole into the heaven of a young lady's eyes so that while i gazed and was dreaming only of herself i found him also in my dream years have so changed him since 
that he need never hope to enter those heavenly orbs again. From these veritable statements it will be readily concluded that, had Monsieur de Miroir played such pranks in old witch-times, matters might have gone hard with him, at least if the constable in Passe Comitatus could have executed a warrant, or the jailer had been cunning enough to keep him. But it has often occurred to me, as a very singular circumstance, and as betokening either a temperament morbidly suspicious, or some weighty cause of apprehension, that he never trusts himself within the grasp even of his own intimate friend. If you step forward to meet him, he readily advances. If you offer him your hand, he extends his own, with an air of the utmost frankness. But though you calculate upon a hearty shake, you do not get hold of his little finger. Ah, this Monsieur du Miroir is a slippery fellow. These truly are matters of special admiration. After vainly endeavouring, by the strenuous exertion of my own wits, to gain a satisfactory insight into the character of Monsieur du Miroir, I had recourse to certain wise men, and also to books of abstruse philosophy, seeking who it was that haunted me, and why. I heard long lectures, and read huge volumes, with little profit beyond the knowledge that many former instances are recorded, in successive ages, of similar connections between ordinary mortals and beings possessing the attributes of Monsieur de Miroir. Some now alive, perhaps, besides myself, have such attendance. Would that Monsieur de Miroir could be persuaded to transfer his attachment to one of those, and allow some of his race to assume the situation that he now holds in regard to me. If I must needs have so intrusive an intimate, who stares me in the face in my closest privacy, and follows me even to my bedchamber, I should prefer, scandal apart, the laughing bloom of a young girl to the dark and bearded gravity of my present companion. But such desires are never to be gratified. Though the members of Monsieur de Miroir's family have been accused, perhaps justly, of visiting their friends often in splendid halls and seldom in a darksome dungeons, yet they exhibit a rare constancy to the objects of their first attachment, however unlovely in person or unamiable in disposition, however unfortunate or even infamous, and deserted by all the world besides. So will it be with my associate. Our fates appear inseparably blended. It is my belief, as I find him mingling with my earliest recollections, that we came into existence together, as my shadow follows me into the sunshine, and that hereafter, as heretofore, the brightness or gloom of my fortunes will shine upon, or darken, the face of Monsieur du Miroir. As we have been young together, and as it is now near the summer noon with both of us, so, if long life be granted, shall each count his own wrinkles on the other's brow, and his white hairs on the other's head. And when the coffin-lid shall have closed over me, and that face and form, which, more truly than the lover swears it to his beloved, are the sole light of his existence, when they shall be laid in that dark chamber whither his swift and secret footsteps cannot bring him, 
Then, what is to become of poor Monsieur de Miroir? Will he have the fortitude, with my other friends, to take a last look at my pale countenance? Will he walk foremost in the funeral train? Will he come often and haunt around my grave, and weed away the nettles, and plant flowers in the verdure, and scrape the moss out of the letters of my burial-stone? Will he linger where I have lived, to remind the neglectful world of one who staked much to win a name, but will not then care whether he lost or won? Not thus will he prove his deep fidelity. Oh, what terror, if this friend of mine, after our last farewell, should step into the crowded street, or roam along our odd-frequented path by the still waters, or sit down in the domestic circle where our faces are most familiar and beloved. No, but when the ray of heaven shall bless me no more, nor the thoughtful lamplight gleam upon my studies, nor the cheerful fireside gladden the meditative man, then, his task fulfilled, shall this mysterious being vanish from the earth for ever. He will pass to the dark realm of nothingness, but will not find me there. There is something fearful in bearing such a relation to a creature so imperfectly known, and in the idea that, to a certain extent, all which concerns myself will be reflected in its consequences upon him. When we feel that another is to share the self-same fortune with ourselves, we judge more severely of our prospects, and withhold our confidence from that delusive magic which appears to shed an infallibility of happiness over our own pathway. Of late years, indeed, there has been much to sadden my intercourse with Monsieur de Miroir. Had not our union been a necessary condition of our life, we must have been estranged ere now. In early youth, when my affections were warm and free, I loved him well, and could always spend a pleasant hour in his society, chiefly because it gave me an excellent opinion of myself. Speechless as he was, Monsieur de Miroir had then a most agreeable way of calling me a handsome fellow, and I, of course, returned the compliment. So that, the more we kept each other's company, the greater coxcombs we mutually grew but neither of us need apprehend any such misfortune now. When we chance to meet, for it is chance oftener than design, each glances sadly at the other's forehead, dreaded wrinkles there, and at our temples, whence the hair is thinning away too early, and at the sunken eyes, which no longer shed a gladsome light over the whole face. I involuntarily peruse him as a record of my heavy youth, which has been wasted in sluggishness, for lack of hope and impulse, or equally thrown away in toil that had no wise motive, and has accomplished no good end. I perceive that the tranquil gloom of a disappointed soul has darkened through his countenance, where the blackness of the future seems to mingle with the shadows of the past, giving him the aspect of a fated man. Is it too wild a thought that my fate may have assumed this image of myself, and therefore haunts me with such inevitable pertinacity, originating every act which it appears to imitate, 
while it deludes me by pretending to share the events of which it is merely the emblem and the prophecy i must banish this idea or it will throw too deep an awe round my companion at our next meeting especially if it be at midnight or in solitude i fear that i shall glance aside and shudder in which case as monsieur de miroir is extremely sensitive to ill-treatment he also will avert his eyes and express horror or disgust but no this is unworthy of me as of old i sought his society for the bewitching frames of woman's love which he inspired and because i fancied a bright fortune in his aspect so now will i hold daily and long communion with him for the sake of the stern lessons that he will teach my manhood with folded arms we will sit face to face and lengthen out our silent converse till a wiser cheerfulness shall have been wrought from the very texture of despondency he will say perhaps indignantly that it befits only him to mourn for the decay of outward grace which while he possessed it was his all but have not you he will ask a treasure in reserve to which every year may add far more value than age or death itself can snatch from that miserable clay he will tell me that though the bloom of life has been nipped with a frost yet the soul must not sit shivering in its cell but bestir itself manfully and kindle a genial warmth from its own exercise against the autumnal and the wintry atmosphere and i in return will bid him be of good cheer nor take it amiss that i must blanch his locks and wrinkle him like a wilted apple since it shall be my endeavour so to beautify his face with intellect and mild benevolence that he shall profit immensely by the change but here a smile will glimmer somewhat sadly over monsieur de miroir's visage when this subject shall have been sufficiently discussed we may take up others as important reflecting upon his power of following me to the remotest regions and into the deepest privacy i will compare the attempt to escape him to the hopeless race that men sometimes run with memory or their own hearts or their moral selves which though burthened with cares enough to crush an elephant may never be one step behind i will be self-contemplative as nature bids me and make him the picture or visible type of what i muse upon that my mind may not wander so vaguely as heretofore chasing its own shadow through a chaos and catching only the monsters that abide there then we will turn our thoughts to the spiritual world of the reality of which my companion shall furnish me an illustration if not an argument for as we have only the testimony of the eye to monsieur de miroir's existence while all the other senses would fail to inform us that such a figure stands within arm's length wherefore should there not be beings innumerable close beside us and filling heaven and earth with their multitude yet of whom no corporeal perception can take cognizance a blind man might as reasonably deny that monsieur de miroir exists as we because the creator has hitherto withheld the spiritual perception can therefore contend that there are no spirits 
Oh, there are. And at this moment, when the subject of which I write has grown strong within me, and surrounded itself with those solemn and awful associations which might have seemed most alien to it, I could fancy that Monsieur de Miroir is himself a wanderer from the spiritual world, with nothing human except his elusive garment of visibility. Methinks I should tremble now, were his wizard power, of gliding through all impediments in search of me, to place him suddenly before my eyes. Ah! what is yonder? Shape of mystery! Did the tremor of my heart-strings vibrate to thine own, and call thee from thy home, among the dances of the northern lights, and shadows flung from departed sunshine, and giant spectres that appear on clouds at daybreak, and affright the climber of the Alps? In truth it startled me, as I threw a wary glance eastward across the chamber, to discern an unbidden guest, with his eyes bent on mine the identical monsieur du miroir still there he sits and returns my gaze with as much awe and curiosity as if he too had spent a solitary evening and fantastic musings and made me his theme so inevitably does he counterfeit that i could almost doubt which of us is the visionary form or whether each be not the other's mystery and both twin brethren of one fate in mutually reflected spheres. O oh, friend, canst thou not hear and answer me? Break down the barrier between us, grasp my hand, speak, listen. A few words, perhaps, might satisfy the feverish yearning of my soul for some master thought that should guide me through this labyrinth of life, teaching wherefore I was born, and how to do my task on earth, and what is death. Alas, even that unreal image should forget to ape me and smile at these vain questions. Thus do mortals deify, as it were, a mere shadow of themselves, a spectre of human reason, and ask of that to unveil the mysteries which divine intelligence has revealed so far as needful to our guidance, and hid the rest. Farewell, Monsieur de Miroir. Of you, perhaps, as of many men, it may be doubted whether you are the wiser, though your whole business is reflection. End of Monsieur de Miroir